Well, thank you for being with us this morning. So great to be with you, to worship with you. We will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today. Have you ever been excited about something? Do you get excited about things? Do you? Do you? There there are, okay, this is going to surprise you that I'm a person that gets excited. I understand that. That, that's a shock to you. Um, but we get, if, if, if I, and I, I really had this word rolling around in my head, but, but what are some of the things like we get really excited about? Family, that's good. First service was vacation. <laughs> Pam, you win the award today. She's excited about family. We are excited about, about things that we're looking forward to in anticipation. Uh, we get excited about things like weddings. I mean, there's a lot of excitement that goes into a wedding. There's also a lot of work that goes into it. We get excited about when, when babies get born, right? Um, I, I'm, what I'm learning is that it's way better as a grandparent. There's, there's just lots more, you know, excitement. And it, when you're a parent, it's just stress, okay? When you're a grandparent, you can actually be excited. And there's, there's a lot of difference there. But we get excited about these things because we anticipate the experience that, that we'll be having. And we look forward to it because it means it's, it's, it's like the achievement of a goal, um, over the weekend, Marquette had their, their graduation for, for uh, high school seniors. That, that is something that, <clears throat> that, as a kid, you just look forward to. I, I remember in the hallway uh, in my high school that somebody put up, uh, 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 it was uh, a bunch of pieces of paper that were all t- somehow compressed together, and it was like a calendar, and it started, I don't know, with 50 days or whatever, and every day we got closer to graduation, somebody would rip off the, that, that page to show the next day, because we were counting down the days until we were done. We were finished with high school, and we were, you, you just, you're excited. You're looking forward to that. <clears throat> And today I want us to look at something, an event in Scripture that, that um, I believe that we should be excited about. And maybe we don't hear it put that way, but I want us to look forward to that. And, and the, the event, uh, I'm going to refer to it possibly in one of two ways. One of the ways I'll refer to it is the millennial reign of Christ. The other one is, is just a little shorter, and it just may be the millennium, but, but I'm referring to both of those things as exactly the same thing. That word millennium is Latin, comes from the Latin, and it means a thousand. And the millennial reign of Christ, the Bible speaks about this time period as a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. And I want us to look at this because I believe that we should be excited about it. And uh, Dwight Pentecost, who's a theologian and an author, he said this. And this really surprised me because I just don't always think of it this way. But there's more information in the Bible about the millennium than any other period in all history. And all of it's prophetic. All of it's prophetic. Because it hasn't happened yet. 
But when we look at the Bible and the way it is written, we look at that time period, and more is written about that time period than any other time period on earth. And I want us to start by looking at Revelation chapter 20, and I'll begin reading at verse number one, and I want you to pay attention. I want you to pay attention to how many times we come across the words a thousand years, okay? All right, Revelation chapter 20, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. There's that phrase, a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until what? A thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ, what? A thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over him, over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him, what? A thousand years. <clears throat> now, it's undeniable that the Bible talks about a thousand years. But not everyone interprets it exactly the same way. In fact, let's look at some of the the views of interpretation for the millennial reign of Christ. And the first one is this. It's called post-millennialism. Post-millennialism takes the book of Revelation, those verses that we just read, and judges, interprets them all figuratively rather than literally. So in other words, the thousand years that's being spoken of is figurative. It's it's not really a thing. The post-millennialism view believes that the binding of Satan is occurring even now as the gospel is being preached around the world. It believes that the world will become Christianized by the church or evangelize that that the entire world will come basically to know Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then at the end Jesus will return to quash the final rebellion of sin. The second viewpoint on the millennial is called amillennialism. Once again, Revelation 20 totally figurative. It's not literal. Uh, There is no actual literal thousand-year reign. The kingdom of God exists in the hearts of those who accept Christ as their personal Savior. Satan is already bound. He can't prevent the spread of the gospel. He can only create chaos in other areas in life. The church may or may not 
evangelize the world, but the most important thing is that the church simply continue to declare that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus will once again return to the earth and quash the final rebellion of sin and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and no more sin. Thirdly, premillennialism, sorry about the frog in my throat, the world will not be evangelized completely by the church. The culture of nations will grow worse and worse and worse as time goes on. Jesus will return and set up his literal kingdom on the earth, a visible kingdom. Satan will be bound. In other words, he will be removed. The Bible says that Satan will be bound and he will be cast into the bottomless pit for a period of 1,000 years. That is the period of the millennial reign of Christ. There still will be sin and rebellion on the earth, but in general, governments and nations will submit to Christ Truth and justice will replace selfishness and corruption. And then at the end of the millennial, Satan will be loosed again for a short period of time. And during this time, he will deceive many. And then Jesus will put a final end to all sin and rebellion. Then followed by that, the new heaven, the new earth, where there will be no more sin. As we read in Revelation chapter 20, the Bible talks about this pre-millennial, thank you, uh, this pre-millennial view of the end times. Thank you very much. And, and so as we look at this, what I believe is that as the body of Christ, as the church, this is something for us to be excited about. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about it in in a way that indicated that there's something to be excited about. So let's take a look at this a little bit further. Why is this necessary? God doesn't do anything by accident. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And, and God has developed this plan. What does scripture say about Jesus? He's the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. So even before Adam and Eve were created, certainly before they sinned and, 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 and were kicked out of the garden, God already had the plan in place because he knew what was going to happen. And so this millennial reign of Christ is something that has been in his plan literally from the beginning. So why is this necessary? Well, let me share a few things. The first one is that it's necessary to fulfill the promises or covenants that God has made through his word. Now, those of you that are parents, you're going to understand this, and you've all done this, but have you ever brought up the subject of ice cream with your children? And you've said to yourself, you know, maybe... I'm thinking possibly, I'm thinking remotely that it's humanly possible that we may go out for ice cream later today. Do you know what your children hear in their brains? That you promised 
on a stack of Bibles that before I go to bed tonight, we will have ice cream. That is what they hear. And if you, okay, dads, we, got, we have to learn this. If you try to back out of this, you are in trouble, okay? And as parents, we realize that sometimes things happen and it's just not feasible. It's just not possible, okay? That's why grandparenting is so fantastic because who cares about all those things? We're just going out for ice cream. <laughs> and, and we don't care about what all the other consequences that may happen or all the other activities or all the other things. that As grandparents, we're just thinking about one thing. And that child is just thinking about one thing. Okay? And so there's this, there's this excitement that happens about the idea. And it's kids are like... Kids are the, the, the most amazing, they have such great faith. Because you say something, man, it's done. In their minds, they have, they're, they're walking in faith. We are having ice cream. They are ice cream evangelists, okay? They, they believe you've spoken it, it will happen in Jesus' name, okay? They believe it that strongly. So uh, God in the scriptures has made promises, they're called covenants. God made a covenant with Abraham. And, and when we read in, in the Old Testament, this covenant that, that God made, God actually um, shows up and, and he brings smoking pots and he brings a sacrifice and he, and he literally does something to make a physical, literal covenant with Abraham and says, Abraham, I will do these things. I'm going to give you an incredible family that is so big you could never imagine. I'm going to give you a land. I am going to bring about someone in your family line that will bless all of mankind. We read about another covenant called the Palestinian covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 30 it's a promise to restore all of the land back to Israel that God promised to Abraham. That literally God says, I'm going to make sure that you can occupy that. I'm going to give that all back to you. Then there's the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God promised David, you know, David, I'm going to make sure that there's a king who sits on the throne that's from your family he will be on that throne forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, those promises that God made, he is going to bring each of those to completion, to fulfillment, and they will be happening in that time period that we refer to as the millennial reign of Christ. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. It says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Who's, whose government? The Messiah's government. The, the king that comes from David's family line. He said uh, that he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. During the millennial reign of Christ, these covenants will be fulfilled. These promises of God will be kept. 
right down to the very last one. Secondly, the millennial is necessary because it's going to usher in Christ's kingdom on earth. Remember the week before the crucifixion, Jesus rides into Jerusalem from Bethany and he had sent his disciples to get the colt of a donkey. We celebrate it. It's called Palm Sunday. And the people gathered along the edges of the road and they cut down palm branches and they waved them. They took their, their garments and they laid them on the road for that, uh, that donkey to, to walk across. It was literally a symbol of like a coronation of the Messiah. And they, while, while Jesus rode by, the crowds were yelling, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means deliver us now. You see, they saw Jesus feed the 5,000. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Jesus make the blind to be able to see. They thought to themselves, this guy could be it. He's the Messiah. He's the one that is going to set us free. The problem was they believed that Jesus was going to be a political deliverer rather than a spiritual one. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9, it says, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. The millennial reign of Christ will be the time when that kingdom is set up. Remember back in the Gospels when James and John's mother came to Jesus and said, when you come into your kingdom, can my son sit on your left and on your right? She thought that that would be a kingdom that would be in the, the there and the now. Okay, that it would be happening right then and right there, that he was going to be set up on earth as, as the king at that time, that he would break the bondage of the Roman government. But what Jesus was referring to about his kingdom was not for the first century, but for the millennial reign of Christ when he sets up his kingdom. Thirdly, <clears throat> The next, the next reason that the millennial is necessary is to restore Israel. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 3, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. We know that in 1948, Israel became a nation. But even to this day, she does not possess all of the land that was promised by God to her. And during the millennial reign of Christ, all of that which was promised as the inheritance will come to Israel. That no, it, it will not be, it will no longer be disputed. Right now, the Palestinians are, are, are arguing in the world stage. There is this tremendous argument about whose land it is. That argument will be over and done when we are in the millennial reign of Christ. All of that will be returned to Israel. In fact, during the millennial reign, Jerusalem will act as the capital for the world because Jesus will dwell there. 
That will be the center of his government. Every promise that he has ever made will be fulfilled. Number four, it's necessary to bring about the salvation of the nations. You know, through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have this thing called the new covenant. In fact, in a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And what did Jesus say when he, when he held up the cup? He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. We live under the new covenant. We don't live under the original covenant of the law. Our covenant is a covenant of grace. What does John 3.16 say? Jesus, he, he, he literally, the, the verse that we, we all grew up memorizing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the message of the gospel. That is what God wants to bring about. Jesus said that, that literally his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Just before Jesus ascended, uh, he said to his disciples and his followers, he gives them what we call the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is the heart of God. That is the mission of Jesus and the church. And the truth is that right now, today, around the world, the gospel message is being declared right now. And there are more people right now who are accepting the message of the gospel. They are accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior more than at any other time in history. But when we look at the tribulation, which we've looked at already, we realize that that's going to continue even during the tribulation. When we look at the millennial reign of Christ, we are going to see numbers of people coming to Christ that are greater than we've ever seen before. Remember what Peter said. He said, God would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now, not all will come to repentance, but that is his desire. So what are the conditions that are going to be happening during the time of the millennial reign of Christ? You know, when we get excited about stuff, we get excited because of the expectations. We're excited about things that are going to be coming, things that will be happening. Think about some of the things in your life that you've been so excited about. It was the conditions of what you anticipated that made you so excited. Because you thought life was going to be this way. You thought this was going to happen or that was going to happen. And that's why you were excited. Well, what are the expect or what are the, 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 the circumstances surrounding the millennial reign of Christ that can give us that sense of anticipation? Well, the first one is this, that, that literally these expectations that we're going to talk about are only possible because Jesus Christ will rule and reign physically on the earth for that thousand years. That will bring about the conditions that we're going to talk about. And because Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign, the Bible says that Satan, we read this in Revelation 20, Satan will be bound and he will be cast into the abyss or the bottomless pit and he will have no impact for a thousand years. I want you to think with me for just a moment of what 
this world would be like without the impact of Satan. Think of what it would be like. Now, the Bible does not say that there will be no sin. The Bible does not say there'll be no rebellion during the thousand-year reign of Christ. But it says that Satan and his influence and his presence and his impact will be taken away from the earth for that thousand years. Imagine, imagine how different your family would be without the influence or the impact of Satan. Think of how different things would turn out. Think about how different your life might be without the impact of Satan. It doesn't mean that there will be no sin, but it means that there will not be demonic forces there tempting you and I. We still will have our own flesh to battle. But that Satan's influence and impact will be absent. So that's going to bring about certain circumstances. The first one is this, that Christians will reign with Christ. Now, the Bible calls you and I, as followers of Christ, the Bible calls us peculiar treasures, God's peculiar treasures. Do you know what that means? Let me give you the Greek. It means weird. We're weird. And, and if, you, if you think that that, that sounds silly, just, just, you know, just go out and, and share with people what, what Jesus means to you. And they will look at you like you've got three heads. When you go out and share with them what you are excited about, what you are looking forward to, what God is going to be doing in the world, and they will say something's wrong with you. We are his peculiar treasure. This world is not our home. Sometimes you'll get someone who will knock on your door and they will say, wouldn't you like to know that you can spend eternity here in paradise? And I say, if you think this is paradise, you've got, you got another thing coming because there's a lot of things in this world that, that would make it not paradise. I want you to understand that we are looking for, forward to heaven. But during this thousand years, it will be different. You see, when Jesus lived, they hated Jesus. And even today, the world hates the gospel and rejects the gospel. During the millennial reign of Christ, we will no longer be the scourge of the world as believers, as Christians. We will be with him. We will be like him. We will be ruling with him in his government. We will be no longer on the outside. And I say looking in, and, and I don't like that phrase, but we will not be the peculiar ones in the world any longer. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6, I read it once before. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests and God, uh, priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him. This is talking about the, those that were dead in Christ that Paul said would, would be risen to new life. This is the raptured believers 
This is the tribulation saints who have uh, been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. These will reign with Jesus for a thousand years. We're going to reign with him. Next, here's a condition that I think we'll all enjoy. There'll be peace that will rule on the earth. Right now, there are three major wars or conflicts on the face of the earth right now that are taking the lives of more than 10,000 people per year. According to Wikipedia, there's another 40 conflicts that are happening around the world that are taking at least 100 lives per year. You think about what's happening below our southern border, the drug war in Mexico, 50,000 lives were lost in 2020, and it doesn't make the list because those people were murdered. They weren't killed in a military conflict. Micah chapter 4, verse 3, the second half. It's also recorded in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The, the rates um, during COVID, during 2020, are out for homicide in the major cities. The murder rates up 30% over 2019. It's, a, it's an unbelievable jump. Friends, things are not getting better. I don't think any of us looks at, at the news and say, well, I'm just glad things are getting better. I think things are not getting better. But we are promised that there will be a peace, and the major factor in the millennial reign of Christ will be peace. You say, why, why is that? Well, first of all, remember I said that, that, that Satan will be bound, that he will be out of the picture. But three times in Revelation, it says that he will rule with an iron scepter. What does that mean? That means that Jesus, as the ruler on the earth, will punish sin when it happens. Right now, people go out and sin, and maybe there's a consequence for their sin, depending on what they do, but but they don't pay a price as far as spiritually is concerned, but during the millennial reign of Christ, when sin happens, when disobedience happens, it will be corrected. Jesus will not sit by and allow that to happen in his kingdom. During the millennial reign of Christ, sin will be judged, and there will be peace on earth as never before. Number three, all manner of diseases will be healed. I want to tell you something, and I, I want to, this is not hyperbole. I hate disease. I hate illness. We live with it every day in our family. Every day. I hate diabetes. I hate it with a passion. I hate it. I'm so, I, I'm glad for, for medical technology. I'm glad for doctors. If it weren't for that, I wouldn't be alive myself. I would not, without an AED, I would not be alive. 
That is medical technology. Without the surgery that I went through, I probably would not be alive because the next time I shoveled my driveway, I would have died. I'm, I'm glad for that, but I hate disease. I hate disease. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 35, verses five and six, then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Remember throughout the Gospels, it says they brought all of their sick to Jesus. And he healed them. Other places it says, and he healed all their sick. I want you to think about this for a moment. Do you think that in the millennial reign of Christ, when Jesus is physically set up his kingdom in earth, that he will heal fewer people than he did when he was on the earth, fully God, fully man, but having laid aside his deity? The answer is absolutely no. He will heal every disease. He will heal every sickness or illness during that time. It is amazing to think about that, that Jesus will heal those things. And what's gonna happen is, number four, it's gonna produce long life. Do you know that since 1950, the average life expectancy in the world has gone up by 26 years since 1950. So another, I was thinking about this, Ward Cleaver, okay? Ward Cleaver probably would have died at 65, but instead is gonna live into his 90s. Do you see what I'm saying? That's, that's the equivalent of what we're talking about. When we think about infant mortality, we, we don't think about this, we certainly don't talk about this much. But since 1990, infant mortality in 1990 was 65 deaths per 1,000 births. In 2018, it's gone down to only 29 deaths per 1,000, but still that represents 4 million deaths a year. And the Bible says that when Jesus is reigning on the earth, that that will not happen. Think about how exciting. The, the, there's, there's, we, we have people in this church, numerous people that have lost children, whether, whether as, as infants or whether as even adolescents or even as adults. What does the scripture say? Isaiah chapter 50, 65, verse 20, never again will there be uh, in it an infant who, uh, who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach 100 will be considered a curse. All of this is possible because Jesus will be reigning and ruling on the earth. You know, over the last few weeks, we've talked about some really heavy things. 
we think, man, this is, this is hard. This is challenging stuff. But I'm reminded of Paul's words in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, where he said, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. That is not a promise about heaven. That is a promise for here on earth. When we look ahead and we think to ourselves, I'm not sure what's going to happen, it can produce fear in us. But when we look at his word, when we dig into what God has promised us, we realize that what he has in store for us, we can't imagine how good it is. On the night that Jesus was arrested, <clears throat> he, sh he shared what we call the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And, you know, in... in some of the conversations that he had just before that, what, what did he say? You know, he, he's telling them that I've got to be, I've got to be arrested. I've got to be crucified. Peter's, you know, he's like, no way, Lord. I'll, I'll defend you to the death. They could not imagine that anything good could come out of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Anybody here think anything good has come out of Jesus' death and crucifixion his, and, and his resurrection. Any, anybody? Anybody? Without it, I would not be a, a believer. Without it, you would not be a believer. Why? Because it was through his death and resurrection he sends the power of his Holy Spirit and the world becomes evangelized. That's how we came to know Jesus. And so when we think about when we think about what is, is, is going to happen, we, we look forward and we say, how can anything good come? The disciples felt exactly the same way. But I want you to know that as we look at Scripture, God's plan is a good plan for the church, for the believer. Yes, he will judge the world of sin. But there, God is going to bring about his kingdom and it will all lead to eternal life with God.